Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father Nathan. Father Michael. This is Catholic Stuff You Should Know, early morning edition. Early morning tea edition. We are here in uh, Colorado, which is great because uh, I have not been in Colorado but for about three days in the last month. Uh, or so. Um, I, guess, I think I've been in Colorado for six days of the last month. Wow. So it's very nice to be back. But it made you a better man. I'm guessing you'll be podcasting at some point on your mission trip. On my trips. trips. On my trips. Yep. Uh, I ventured to uh, Kenya and Ethiopia uh, to visit uh, Deacon Hugh Downey, who's a member of our parish at St. John of Arc. He's their deacon. Him and his wife, Marty, have been working in Africa for over 50 years, Um, and uh, I personally wanted to see the the work that they had done or uh, set out to do, and um, I don't know how many years they have left in Africa. They're certainly going to live for a while longer, but I don't know uh, how much longer they're going to stay in Africa, so I wanted to make sure I saw it before then. But today we are discussing uh, the fruit, one of the fruits of my travels, which was the book that was my constant companion, mm. uh, on my trip. Actually, that's really interesting because I think one of the things that, um, I read the book as well, or I listened to the book on audio. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that, that struck me about this book was just the, the timing. So like I started reading this book when I moved here. Hmm. to Schloss Goebel, yeah. Joan of Arc. And there was something about the atmosphere, about having a commute for the first time. All of my, my life and the change in my life, that transition, hmm. um, I think had a big impact on what I was getting out of it. So it sounds like that might be the case for you too. Can I just note that that is the fastest we've ever got to a topic? <laughs> this is still banter. <laughs> and the fastest the computer has ever started doing uh, the thing where it slows down. Anyways, so I'm going to take off my headphones because it's annoying me. Um, I'm so, exhausted right now, so I'm not. I'm tired. I didn't sleep well last night. You so. did not look well yesterday. That's why I asked yes. you. I was like, I was like, are you feeling all right? Within three seconds of seeing you, you're like, are you okay? I, I just, I, maybe I'm just not getting enough sleep. I don't know. Yeah, but right. anyway, so I'm, I'm sipping on my coffee now at what nine eighteen in the morning. So I don't mind if we should get into the topic. <laughs> yeah, let's just let's just get let's to just it. Go. You know, um, I uh, I had the great uh, gift of being able to do laundry last night because, like uh-huh. I said, it had been three and a half weeks, and so the laundry hamper was overflowing. But I listened uh, to the podcast. That's usually whenever I have free time, and it's just sort of you know mindless. You know, just doing mindless work, so yeah. you might as well enjoy it and. Um, I love listening to the other guys' podcasts right. because uh, I it's such a it's such a, a shock to me that it's like oh yeah Catholic stuff is more than just me right you know <laughs> and I'm always like oh gosh do we got to record again what's going on um, and um, I called Father John the other day um, just to touch base with him after I got back with, from Africa and I said uh, by the way um, what about this parochial solipsism. Do you want to explain a little more? Am I going to be upset listening to this? And he got really defensive and whatever. Um, and um, but it was great. It was a great podcast, and I laughed a lot. And uh, Evan Coop, Father Evan Coop, was great on it. And um, Father John had some good points. Was so it Father Evan or Father Austin? Well, it's Father Austin Litke. Oh, but, um, but then uh, Father Evan Coop, who was uh, the uh, what is his name? Dad bod. That's the oh. name of his. Uh, <laughs> his username on John's computer, dad bod, he needed to be in there to, um, to kind of adjust some levels or whatever. So, uh, anyway, so Evan Coop was there and it was, it was a lot of fun to listen to those guys. So anywho. So the father John wrote an article that's going to be in some periodical based. Yeah. I think it's uh, better homes and gardens (laughs) or, um, gosh, I don't know. Cat lady period. Yeah. Cat weekly. Cat lady weekly. (laughs) You know, um, so um, some prestigious. <laughs> no, I think it's homiletic and pastoral review, oh. um, which is a great, great journal. Um, and um, Father John is uh, is writing this article, and so that was kind of the the test run, if you will. Yeah. And some good ideas in there. Um, I disagreed with some parts of it. Hmm. Um, he said that eighty percent of the priest's time is spent in, at administration, and I'm like, no. 
It's not 80%. Yeah. It's just the 20% that takes 80% of your energy. Yeah. Um, so, and I don't even know if it's 20%. It might be more. Yeah. Um, but it was just it was just fun at some parts. So I know that there's a big debate. I was saying this last night. One third of the companions are scholars, and two thirds are pastors. So it, it does create an interesting dialogue among us in our fraternity about just like the course of our life and the way that we experience ministry is very different. And to have those discussions, I mean, I think I have what I think a judgment about what the life of a scholar is. And it has its romanticized beauties and romanticized oh, yeah. frustrations. Um, but I, I, I wonder how much of that they do for us. Like I, I had, I was hanging around with Father Mike Rapp a lot recently, and he's kind of lived both worlds because he's now living in yeah. a pastoral-ish world, living with Father Brian Larkin at Lords. Right. But he's still obviously a scholar and doing that. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it's good. It's good to hear their perspective. Yeah. And to actually receive some kind of words of challenge yeah. and even prophecy. And wisdom around it, because, I mean, I would never have drudged up that uh, quote from uh, Louis Bouillet. Um, so we, we, we need each other. Yeah. Absolutely. But um, this book, uh, which has made the rounds in the Companions, uh-huh. uh, was recommended to us by the venerable uh, and glorious Nick Blaha. Um, and uh, Blaha uh, gave this to me over the summer and said, you really have to read it. And as with any book that I receive, it usually uh, gets put on a shelf uh, mm-hmm. that makes it appear that I read a lot. Um, but uh, Father John uh, found it next and uh, said, and he blew through it uh, and said, you, you have to read this. So um, I saved it for my trip to Africa, um, and I started it uh, when we left Minnesota. So can I just give, I mean, I know we're in banter right now. The book is called Loris. I know some of you are waiting (laughs) eagerly to hear it. L-A-U-R-U-S by Eugene Vodolatskin, Vodolatskin Vodka, V-O-D-O-L-A-Z-K-I-N. We flew from Denver to Minnesota to Minneapolis, and um, we had to get a big meal in Minneapolis because... That's when we were going to take our sleeping pills. Ah, right. And we found a place that served uh, breaded walleye sandwiches. Oh. And uh, it was one of the best meals I've ever had in an airport. Huh. Um, I, I don't remember what the place was called, but uh, very few places have breaded walleye. Minneapolis airport. Minneapolis airport. Cool. Yeah. And um, so devoured that. I took my sleeping pill, um, woke up in... Uh, where were we? Um, Amsterdam. Ah. And then it was from Amsterdam that I read this. So, wow. um, so this book, um, you, you read it when? You moved in in October? Yeah, I read it, whatever it took that month. I did it on Audible. Yeah, just uh, every time I was driving, I was listening. It was probably really helpful to listen on uh, on audio because it gives you the correct-ish <laughs> pronunciation. <laughs> right, right. Was was it really Russian, like some of the names, Russian-sounding? Uh, it was definitely an American or Canadian-sounding narrator, mm-hmm. but, and they didn't, like, overdo the accents. It wasn't... That's so distracting to me when people... Or, like, when priests, they, they, they say the uh, the genealogy of Jesus, oh, yeah. and they try to pronounce every name right. like they would have been in Jesus' time, and that's honestly just really distracting to me. It's like, just say it in a North American accent, because that's right. where we are, yeah. Right, but so I, it wasn't distracting, but it was sounded authentic, as far as I know. Yeah, I've been told that uh, that if you did that with Lord of the Rings, uh, the know. the Lord of the Ring, did you? Oh, you did that. I'm I'm listening to it right now. I'm happy. So I heard that that the songs make a lot more sense in in the audible version hmm. as opposed to in the book because when they do it, it sounds more like poetry. It is, and it's interesting because I think the narrator actually chooses like one melody for each right. one, one for one right. for uh, dwarves, one for elves, one for humans, right. mm-hmm. and so it, it does make it kind of cool. You kind of get the feel of what hopefully what Tolkien intended. Yeah, yeah. So Blaha recommended this book, and he said it's one of the best books he's ever read by an author who's still living. Hmm. Um, so uh, Eugene Vodolatskin is apparently still living in Russia, okay. um, and. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to, I, Father John said that I'm going to read this book and get a lot more out of it than he did. Okay. Um, I'm not that good at literature. 
I I I am I don't like read things and I'm like, "Oh, did you get that symbolism?" Right. I feel like I'm much better with movies. Okay. I watched on the plane uh Dark Knight again. Oh yeah. And I mean just more and more things came mm-hmm. out. Can I just give a little little insight that I got from Batman? At some point, we'll. <laughs> that was a very book. loaded pause. <laughs> I was like, "What's he going to say?" <laughs> well, so yes, I'm thinking of my because I thought about doing another podcast on it, but you know, I don't think so. Um, so the Joker, if you recall, one of my favorite episodes that we've done is Batman. Okay. And uh, it, have you listened to that one before? Uh, part of it. So the insight that I got from watching the movies and from Dr. Terry Wright, who's a brilliant man and was upset when I didn't give him credit the first time, um, <laughs> was out. that there are three masters of suspicion, Freud, Nietzsche, and uh, Marx. Okay. And in the second Batman movie, we're dealing with Nietzsche, uh, who is embodied in the Joker. Okay. And I was thinking to myself, so Nietzsche's big thing is truth. There is no truth. Act however you want, because ultimately it doesn't matter. Like, you determine your own truth. Notice how the Joker comes up with a different story behind how he got those scars. Hmm. Right. So he says, do you know how I got those scars? And he comes up with this whole narrative and it's so that he can do whatever he wants yeah. or inspire terror in the person that he's that he's dealing with. Yeah. So, um, and then at the end, I mean, this is crazy. This is so funny because, like, I felt so bad. The lady next to me who sat on the <laughs> down on the plane was this small, um, like Oklahoma, um, like Bible thumping whatever. Um, and I watched Saving Private Ryan. And uh, Dark Knight, and uh, in both of them, like she just kept looking over and being like, "Oh dear," you know. But he, at the very end of the movie, Joker says to Batman when he's choking him out, he says, "By the way, do you know how I got these scars?" And he says to him, "He says, I know you got these." And then he, and then he shoots the, shoots his little batarang into his face, which so, is truth, which is truth, yeah. Truth hitting him right in the Assaulted face. Assaulted by the truth. Exactly. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, so you you listened to an audio book uh, in October. I read it yeah. right now. Initial impressions. I it it did rock my world. I mean, I loved it, and I I think it was. I'm still trying to this day to understand why I liked it so much. What an impression it had on me, and I think part of it was just that transition in my life, which is just kind of hokey. But um, there, there's something about the way he writes in like short almost choppy sentences and it it was so engaging and so different than my normal life like i'd listen to npr or whatever and it's you know very analytical and and, you know very american but like there's the way even in translation that the the, these short choppy sentences and it it made it sound like it was wiser and but there's there's so little it's almost like brothers k there's so little that you can say that I'm going to gnaw on, almost like you said about literature. But there's just something about the presentation of it. And then you have this man I, – I just love paradoxes. But but there's something about the, the main character is so blessed with, with being a healer and with being able to kind of understand that it's not only the herbs that he uses in healing, but it's also his his voice and his touch. And he there's so much – kind of exalted hagiography-esque um, beauty and holiness there, and yet he's a sinner yep. and, and, and kind of a mess. And so I love that paradox of a God's obviously working through him, but, but he's, not always, he's always responding in a childlike way, but also kind of messing up or just being silly. I mean, the, the, what's the last line in the last scene of the book? It was, came out of nowhere for him. I don't want to give mm-hmm. it away, but like, mm-hmm. it was just, I was like, where did that come from? But it was something, when I reflected upon it, I said, that, that kind of touches on the, on the reality. Well, it's like the, so the very last line's are just about Russia. Yeah, right. But right, like the the, the yeah, what, yes, yeah. what he has I in his will, that. and it's just like you know right. he, he he's forcing humility, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. He's so blessed, but he's also because of his own sin and his mistakes, he imposes humility on himself, even in his death. Mm-hmm. Well, um, there are certain lines from either sacred scripture or from like spiritual writers or whatever that we don't understand until we've actually lived them ourselves. Yeah. You know? 
like there might be some time where it's just like you hear the you hear the word blessed are those who mourn and at first you're just like there's just, yeah okay that's 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 a that's a god word you know right. and then you experience it yourself and you're like there is nothing in this yeah. that is blessed yeah until you get through it and then you actually say you know what like that's I can see the wisdom in that. Mm-hmm. And th- now it's different. I would say that if I had to do like a like a a blimp view of this of this, you know, book, like from aerial view, that the word that that came to me after reading it was uh mountain no mountain mountain like throughout the course of the book. So, uh that's a spiritual maxim that okay. some people say which is uh in whether it's Buddhism or kind of spiritual theology, it's like mountain, no mountain, mountain. Similar to what I just said, like there's a truth. Mm-hmm. And then at some point it's like you see the reverse of that truth played out. And then finally you come back to the same truth, but not in the same way that you experienced it the first time. Mm-hmm. It's, with a, it's with a different richness. So um, this book I feel like is a pilgrimage it's a pilgrimage through a person's life from birth to death, and you experience all these different things, and at different times he thinks, now I've got it. Now I've arrived. I finally, you know, yeah. and there's a point where you have to say, no, you, you haven't, um, and you're experiencing that with them um, until such point that they enter into a place that really they've experienced and you haven't. Um, but you've accompanied them. Hmm. Again, I don't want to. I don't want to give too much away. And I, I, what I do a lot of times with with these books is that I'll I'll keep crimping the pages of things that I want to return back to. I did that with Harry Potter, and it's like all over the place. Yeah. So at some point, I'm going to go back and then just keep a journal yeah. of all the experiences that I that I had because. Um, there, there were multiple times that I was like, "Wow, I gotta, I gotta return back to that." But I wanted to preserve this copy because I don't know if Nepple gave it to me or if, you know, I'm going to give it to somebody else, etc. Um, but it's really, I, I just think uh, from the because we're not giving too much away if we just go through the, the chapters. But the chapters are 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 there's four major chapters: the book of cognition, the book of renunciation, the book of journeys the book of repose. So cognition, renunciation, journeys, repose. And those kind of match up with the four names he has throughout his life because mm. he has four names. And it, it is interesting because I think the very first line of the book is this man, the main character, the protagonist had different names and different transitions. Yeah. And it's almost frustrating because I fell in love with each name yeah. and then he had to lose it. <laughs> right. And we've done it. I'm like, no, no, no. He wasn't done with like fully embracing the meaning behind that name. So the first name was Arseny. Arseny, yeah. The second name was Ustin. Oh, it's it's been a bit. Um, no, Ustin was the, the girl. Third. Ustina. Ust- yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. Yes, Ustina was the girl, um, and then Ustin, right? And then uh, the name of his friend, the Ambrosio. Italian guy Ambrosio, which was his first monastic name. Ah, uh, and then Loris yeah. was his final monastic name. Yeah. And they all probably have different meanings and yeah. and uh, whatnot. But one thing one thing I want to hone in on is um when I when I read it and when I read the book and uh there's a there's a particular event that's sort of the catalyst to his to his going out. Yeah. Um and every single one of us have a, a kind of a, a cataclysmic event that actually sets us into into motion um, and and to this going out and um, I don't know if it's cataclysmic but something that propels us outward mm. and it's the going out that actually produces great fruit because if he would have if it would have just been a story of him this is the story of a man who sits in his house every day and does the exact same things and has a job and then eventually dies it's like oh my gosh no more you know but you at the same time that you want to see the adventure and the journey and whatever you can't get rid of the you can't rewrite it in such a way that you would remove the painful events right 
And I think that's an important lesson for us. Yeah. It is interesting because this book reminded me of, of uh, Ostrov, the Russian movie. Yes. Because there's, there's a, a shame that they, they, they live the entire rest of their life yeah. And it looks from the outside like shame. And I keep on wanting to say, just get over it like you're forgiven. But but there's something about, and it's a very Eastern Christian thing too, to, to kind of say, I'm never, I feel like I need to live the rest of my life in asceticism and penance. And it's, it's not like I'm not forgiven by God, but it's just, there's this memory of this sin, of this fall. But, but it, it always, in, in Ostrov and in Loris, it leads to a beautiful life. Of, of repentance and helping others, but I, I still feel so bad that they're carrying this weight on them, even mm-hmm. though it leads to such fruit. Yeah. We can't, we can't alleviate uh, people of the memory of their past. What we can alleviate them from is the shame that would prevent them from doing the good in the future. Do you think he overcame that shame, though, in Loris? In Ostrov, I, I don't think he did. I think it took the uh, the ending that I'm not going to give away, but the ending that kind of healed him, but it came from outside. That's yeah. like one of my biggest frustrations with that and with Loris is that did they overcome the shame or or was it, did it just take on different forms throughout their life? Um, I think, uh, I think for, for the character in, in this book in particular, um, he has to get over his self-reliance. Mm. And the self-reliance comes from a variety of forms, like knowledge from, from others. Like I, there came a point in my own life where I was like, okay, I've gone through seminary. I've read a lot of theological books. I've experienced some conversion. I think if I just stay with this sort of... Um, if these with these rules and kind of uh, mathematics, you know, it's kind of like I know how to add and subtract and yeah. etc. I can get through, right. and then certain things come, and it, it's beyond. Yeah, it's beyond what I I, I was able to handle. Yeah. Like I've had to I've had to say to people, um, and even to myself, like the lower forms of mathematics don't contain unknowns. Right, three plus five is known, yep. and it's pretty easy. Three yeah. x plus five equals 14 contains an unknown that at some point you can figure out. But then there's higher forms of mathematics that we don't even get to know what the unknown is. We just know that as long as we preserve it as this, it comes out. Um, And I think so also in the, in the spiritual life. And I think that's part of what, what this guy is progressing in is that he has to get to a point where there are some things that he just doesn't know and he won't get those answers. Um, and that, and it's about entrustment. And I would say that, um, it's a struggle. I, 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 I don't know. I, I think that's, it's not resolved. And I, I actually think that's beautiful because that's kind of Eastern Christianity. They allow for a lot more mystery. Yeah. Then kind of the Roman, we're going to figure this out and we're going to name it. Yeah. Transubstantiation. Yeah. We've got it figured out. Yeah. This is what it is. And whereas for, for the Easterns, it's kind of like, yeah, it's the mystery. Yeah. <laughs> we're okay with that. Yeah, we're okay with that. The interesting thing about what you said, too, is I'm getting thinking because in Ostrov, the movie, and in Loris, the response to that reality of not knowing and and getting getting closer to the mystery namely Jesus Christ and and yet saying I don't know and I still have this guilt and I know I need to live a life of repentance and asceticism but the it seems that the answer is just becoming a holy fool because that's what happened there, there's almost like an absurdity when you when you live a life of absurdity, you know, mm-hmm. clucking like a chicken up in a tree or, you know, kind of hesitantly walking on water, you know, things like that in Loris, there, there's this absurd, the people kind of laugh at them and they're these holy fools that people respect, but it is, is a response to the mysteries of the world and our lack of the suffering of our consequences because we have sinned and yet for some reason we're living in life with a with an all-loving god that has forgiven us and the kind of the absurdity of just 
laughing at life and having people laugh at you like being a holy fool. There's almost something like that is a a proper response to the mystery of the world in in this literature. It's a response. I don't think it's the only response. And even for him, he doesn't stay there. He doesn't stay in that as with that as the answer. Right. It serves a purpose. It serves a purpose for a time. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, it as as he went through it, he was grateful that he had that experience because it freed him from something else. Yeah. And I think there's moments, even in like our own life, in the Christian life, where we say, all right, here's my response and here's how I'm going to live. I'm going to live in perpetual repentance for something I've done in the past. Yeah. God doesn't want that. There is a time, you know, like uh, Ecclesiastes says, like there's a time to weep and a time uh, to rejoice. There's a time for embracing, a time to refrain from embracing. So there is a proper time for a lot of these things, but we can't just satisfy ourselves with this is the answer. Yeah. The life, life is this journey. It's this progression, and this whole book is about pilgrimage. Yeah. He's making, he's making this holy walk uh, towards something, and that something isn't just a place, and it's not even just a spiritual place. Like it's, it's, it's always beyond. I'm, I'm wondering, and I, I forget, but. That makes sense what you just said, where, where, where kind of the absurd life of a holy fool of kind of mirroring the absurdity of, of God's, the paradox of God's justice and mercy, of his, you know, divinity and humanity, all of that through absurdity, but is, is, the, is a common and fruitful next step silence? Hmm. You know, just, mm-hmm. you, I'm not trying to explain it. I'm just yeah. kind of, it's pure being with our Lord. And I'm wondering yeah. if at the end of the book, in this fourth stage of his life that's so brief, really, is does he go from being a holy fool to when he when he takes on permanent monasticism? Again, I don't remember, but is there silence there? And is that kind of the, the, the ultimate response before entering the kingdom of God? Yeah, I, I think... I think to be alone, to be alone uh, with the presence of others is, uh, is the fruit of actually allowing yourself to be with others uh, in, in community. Mm-hmm. The, the hermit is the, is the one who's mastered right. common life. Yeah. The one who is agonizing over who they are says to other people, get away from me. Like, you don't want to be around me. You don't know what I've done. Uh, Leave me alone. Um, But at some point, you have to actually allow yourself to be alone with God and then rely upon Him who begins to actually draw others to you. The end of the book isn't like He goes on top of the high mountain and no one ever approaches Him again. Right. But He's learned in freedom to live in right relationship, but not perfectly. And almost in a humorous way, it's like he, he needs others to, to um, carry out his will. Yeah. He, he asks the other monks or to, to do something, I won't give it away, but to do something after he dies that is very much, there, there's the interdependence continues even after death. But even his, even the gift. I mean, you, you know, it's not like we're giving too much away. Like you, you, the book is is framed with this these words of healing, mm-hmm. this kind of presence of healing. In order to heal, you actually need other persons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like to be a healer, you need people to heal, um, so that they can repl- re- rely upon your strength to aid their weakness. Yeah. But also simultaneously, so that their so that their strength can fill your weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the beginning, in the beginning, it's like everyone comes to me to be served. And there's this transition, this beautiful transition to um, I, I need others. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, I was reading this. I would find myself reading this after, uh, you know, being in, in all these different uh, wild places um, Kenya, Ethiopia, etc. Um, and 
when I would go to the when I would go to the book, it wasn't just that I was ex- escaping into my fantasy land. I was actually I was finding that I had to process some of the things that I had experienced mm-hmm. through this yeah. through this book, and and allowing this journey that this person was on to even aid my own journey of I have not yet arrived or. I need to renounce that aspect of my of my life. Yeah. So I, I felt like it was an extended spiritual direction. Yeah. In kind of story format. Yeah. Um, again, like as with any book, it's not like it's not like you're reading the gospel. Right. It's not like you can take every single thing in here and, and apply it. Um, but uh, Father Gronsky, our our father and friend uh, in the Companions, and uh, for Saint John Vianney especially. Um, he used to say that literature is the heart in written form. Mm-hmm. So the the more you you get in touch with literature, the more you realize what's in the depths of the heart. Um, he he was known to say, "You really only need two books: The Imitation of Christ and Miss Marple, and you'll know everything that you need to know about uh, the human heart." which is uh, Agatha Christie, people killing each other and trying to hide it and somebody else figuring it out. Hmm. Um, And that's what I I felt like with this book is just like, wow, the contours of the human heart are massive, wide, crazy, gullies, creepy forests, uh, rodents of unusual size. Um, And yet, like, when you're on this this journey... um, you can encounter far more than if you just stayed in the secure kind of, I know everything. If you don't go through that progression of mountain, no mountain, mountain, you just stay in mountain, then you're the guy that has all the answers. Okay, maybe, but you also don't have any of the experience. The the podcast that uh, Father Mike and I did on uh, on the dangerous uh, it's, it's called Stay Dangerous, but I, I think Stay that's dangerous. actually it's actually even though we recorded it earlier, it's going to come out after this one just for the alternation. Huh. But but that's exactly kind of what the what I go into is that there's a certain in our childlike innocence when we're young, there's something about a, a kind of a basic understanding and appreciation of God as dangerous based upon like Lewis and Aslan and Tolkien, and mm-hmm. you know, but then we experience danger as something that is evil. And through abuse and through, but but that's kind of a stage. That's the no mountain we need to get through until we can enjoy God's danger and being unsafe again when we get older, when we've matured. Mm-hmm. And but it, it's it's a it's a mature, but it's it's not as pure as when we're young. Mm. But but there's still this. It's the same realization, just a, a deeper, deeper, more mature word. Anyway, but that is beautiful because I think that's. You see that with even the the ancient Eastern and um, imagine Western monasticism, where they 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 went out to the desert in the fourth century, and but they always had people gather around them. You know, like Saint, beginning with Saint Anthony in the desert. They, they he went out there. He was kind of the founder of monasticism. He went out to, to live a life of of escape and embracing of the desert. And then he could not stay alone for long. People came together around him, mm-hmm. and, and he, there was no isolation. There was he had had to share the gifts that he was receiving from the desert, um, and that obviously happens. I mean, he has an unexpected companion on the way to the Holy Land during that pilgrimage, and things mm-hmm. like that 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 kind of open him up to uh, other ways of seeing God. Yeah, that's and, the name Ambrosi. Ambrosi, yeah. Ambrosi, yeah. A M V R O S Y. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um, did you guys talk about uh, Saint Paul and talking about like I've experienced danger through danger from cold, danger from you know fasting, danger from shipwrecks, danger from you know no. But I mean, like, like it's it's that probably is terrifying. Oh yeah. There's probably you know some fear in that. But like having having placed his whole life in God, he was able to walk through right. those things. Um, without just like, you know, oh no, God's in control and let me just turn on K-Love and and everything will be all right. But like he has confidence. He has real confidence. Um, The one thing I forgot to say on that podcast, by the way. So so now I'm going to say it before it comes out, (laughs) which is pretty amazing. But the conclusion that I I came to when I was thinking and praying this whole thing was um, like I, what I, the beauty of God being that big and dangerous is that God is 
another paradox. He's all merciful and all just, but he is, I'm in, in near full control of his justice. In other words, I, it depends on my behavior if I'm gonna if I'm gonna suffer or endure whatever it might be the justice that comes from God that the, the what is due to me mm. because of my own behavior but I do not want to be in, in full control of His mercy I want that to be bigger than I will ever understand so in a sense what God offers us in that paradox is is what we should desire I'm full in full control of the justice because that's what justice is 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 what is due to me. But when the merciful part of God, I don't even want to know his line of thought. Hmm. I don't even want to know why he is so merciful all the time. And I don't want to in any way limit what he's doing because I trust him because he's good. I mean, that's the whole C.S. Lewis thing with Aslan. No, he's not safe, but he's good. Hmm. You know, And th- there's something beautiful about that and say, because of his goodness, I don't want safety. That needs to be defined, of course, but I, I want what is radical and mysterious. Hmm. I'm just thinking, are we actually in control of God's justice? I have not really thought about that. I, I don't I don't know if we necessarily are, but I, that's what I desire. Mm-hmm. I desire to prevent, you know, justice that would be what I do. Right, that, that you would actually carry out what is owed not only to you, but to others. Yeah. Hmm. yeah I like that. Um, yeah. And then the other truth, the other truth that I would say, you know, from this book, you know, that kind of in written form, that's what it seemed to be communicating to me was um, to go to a place that you have not been, you have to go by a way that you have not traveled. Hmm. Um, I think that's John of the Cross. Um, so, uh, so this person wants to arrive um, at a place that he has some idea of what it is and what it looks like and and how it's going to be, but he would have never chosen the means to actually arrive at that place. Um, But if we really want, if we really desire to arrive at heaven, perhaps, um, then the way in which we're going to to get to that place isn't just, I went to the Adoration Chapel every day, um, I never did anything wrong. Um, I ate all my vegetables and I tithed. Right. It's like you still might not arrive at the place that you're looking for, <laughs> right. um, or you may still have uh, you may still have you know um, you may still have things to travel through before that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm actually thinking in part about uh, Monsignor Glenn. Um, you know, Monsignor Michael Glenn, who's in the final stages of, of brain cancer. Um, just, uh, I went and visited him yesterday and, um, he is pretty unresponsive. He's not, uh, he opened his eyes once. I, I spoke to him in Italian and uh, he kind of, <laughs> kind of opened his eyes and then he nice. went right, right back to sleep. Um, and, but one thing that I thanked him for was, um, was the pursuit of God. Like he he demonstrated to us as young men um, what it looks like to pursue God, and uh, he never, I don't think, would have said, "I think that the end of this chapter is going to be that I get brain cancer yeah. and whatever." Um, but but he set out to pursue God, and in some way, God has allowed him to to share in this. Um, and his journey is not done yet, like he's still in the you know final throes. And what is God doing even in these last stages? Hmm. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's still a priest, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, one of these you know spectacular looking nurses comes in, and uh, she's got her full sleeve, and you know she's changing his you know, IVs or whatever. And, and she's like, oh, are you friend or family? And I'm like in my collar and I'm kind of like, uh, I'm friend, but kind of family. And she's like, friends who are like family. I'm like, yeah. And we started talking how I knew him, et cetera. And then I said, um, like, has anybody told you that he was an avid biker or mountain climber? And she's like, oh no, we had no idea. Um, and I'm like, 
in 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 behind the words Father Glenn, um, Father Michael is a whole host of experiences mm-hmm. that we would never see, you know, in this final in this final end, and yet like. The person's experienced it. The people around them have experienced it. But ultimately, God has deigned it. Hopefully, f- you know, for his for his salvation, and salvation of others. Mm. So, I don't know what the heck's going to happen to me. I don't know. Parachuting, died by parachuting, <laughs> unwillingly. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, that that'd be a martyrdom that'd on his forty eighth birthday. Be worth it. Yeah. I don't know. There is something to say, though, for reflecting upon. I mean, I, I know that as people get older, and even as I get older, there's a certain, you look back on the glory days. But I mean, it, it, those are really pointless unless you are able to live, unless it changes you in the moment. I mean, if, if, you, if you do all these things when you're young, and yet you're dying in the hospital, and you're angry and bitter, and it's like, yeah. You're angry and bitter because you can't go mountain climbing, or right. you can't ride yeah. a bike. Yeah, and that's not the case with him, of course. But but but, right. but if that was the case, then you then you're saying those things were ends in themselves; they weren't means to the end of holiness. Yeah. And those things should be, as everything should be, a means to the end of holiness. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully, purgatory is like something of that journey. Mm. Like your journey was incomplete because you you didn't see this. Now begin like not just like reliving your life. I personally didn't like that movie, What Dreams May Come. Okay. Do you remember that one with Robin Williams or whatever? It's like, he's got to draw her out and they've got to relive their life, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think the education of the saints in allowing us to perceive, wow, God really was at work in my life and he was was inviting me towards towards this. Mm -hmm. And I resisted it because I just didn't, I didn't trust him. And now it's like, well, would you would you open yourself to that? Yeah. I've been preparing myself, I think, ever since I was probably a teenager and heard the story of the uh, Good Samaritan. And someone, some preacher explained it as, um, you know, the the priest and the Levite were in a hurry because they had something to do. They had a responsibility. And yeah. so they didn't stop. That was just a, a simple way of looking at the story. But I always thought, you know, if if I was very excited about something and I it was I'm, I'm running off to do something I've been looking forward to for a long time, and I encounter on the way somebody in need, you know, would I pause or sacrifice what I was so looking forward to for that soul? Hmm. And I, I've often tried to put myself in that situation and say, you know, would I be able to, through preparation and through virtue, to to give up something that's going to make me happy to do an act of of you know self emptying service? And it's I think that's what all these experiences in our life, in a sense, should lead up to hmm. is is a, a formation of the human person as as a virtuous being that has said all of these little things that God did and that I listened to Him and responded to Him. Have have made me more united with him through theosis, and then I can actually. I'm, you know, we're getting off the topic here, but I it's just there's something beautiful about saying all those experiences of of Monsignor Michael, all of his hobbies, all the things that you guys know so well as helping mm-hmm. inform the companions. All these things have have led up to some nurse walking into his room, and hopefully she's graced by the presence of this man she doesn't know when he's near the end of his life, and he's done so much for other people, and yet. You know, just talking to a friend who's like family who walked into the room, hopefully that allowed the spirit to work in her life because she probably sees people dying all the time. Yeah. Something different about this one, you you hope. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, 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 hmm. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Thanks, Loon. Thanks, Loon. Yeah. So uh, I would I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's a it's a good read. Maybe not for a thirteen year old. Yeah, like um, maybe some mature themes, uh, especially at the beginning. Um, so yeah, with uh, high recommendation with some caution. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like you know, Faulkner's the same way. Good call. Yeah. You know. Uh, Flannery O'Connor's the same way. I mean, right. I just I wouldn't put it in the hands of somebody who's just like un, you know, un. 
uninitiated, and I did just realize, uh, just because it was so long ago that I finished it, I did just realize there is another redeeming moment at the end of this book, similar to Ostrov, the movie. There, there's a moment where he kind of gets a second chance, mm-hmm. or or shows that the yeah. initial guilt should not, and yeah. shame should not be as heavy as it was. Anyway, I just realizing that as we finish up. Yeah. Yeah. What's the what's the what's the wolf? I thought the the wolf was so fascinating. Oh, on the cover? Yeah. I mean, the, it's in the beginning, but I just, you know, I kind of like the image of the wolf. It looks almost Celtic. Celtic. Well, that's not fair cuz it's Russian. Yeah, it's not but it, the, the wolf's the shape of an L, right, for the loris. Right. But then that's what of course Book of Kells and all that. It is it is cool. Might yep. make, it would make a nice tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Anywho, uh, all right. Well, uh, go to your local library and uh, don't take my word for it. But up, um. But actually, when I when I bought it on Audible, the first I listened to the voice before I bought it because I always do that mm-hmm. with audiobooks just to make sure the voice isn't really annoying. And I wasn't a big fan of the voice listening to the sample, but I really. If you guys do want to listen to an audible, audible, which I, I recommend as well, the 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 voice of the um, of the narrator it does uh, it took some time, but it uh, it it I found it favorable and helpful in the end. It's kind of like a glowing review of our podcast. Yeah. When you listen and you hear one of the voices, you may say to yourself, "That guy's Ew. totally annoying," and at times it is, but it grows on you. Amen. Speaking of which, uh, we have a few letters, um, handwritten letters, which, uh, as you know, would be... Who does that anymore? Exactly. Uh, Dear Fathers John, Mike, Michael, and Nathan, been a fan for well over a year. Finally caught up with past podcasts and some I've listened to several times. Love the banter. Um, I'm into priests, used to be into pirates, but my son's... (laughs) aren't uh that's a huge reason i think the four of you are fabulous fabulous and needed to let people know priests can be very cool like pirates um and uh she's writing and thanking us for a number of other things um and she uh is apparently famous at making ginger gingerbread um which uh she didn't think we would like uh but uh in small doses we'll enjoy anything but um Sometimes people send an enormous amount of stuff, and it just ends up getting shared, which is fine. Uh, but her name is Vicky uh, from the greater Cincinnati area. Uh, but w- one of my favorite lines is she says, I'm a former speech-language pathologist, and Father Michael's laugh is the best ever. A glowing review of <laughs> I'll take Catholic stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you got any other shout-outs? Uh, I did all mine previously. I'll oh, think okay. of something. Will you go? Uh, we got another letter, uh, typed but signed. Um, so, uh, let's see here. I began listening to you as I drove back and forth on my way to work. I have and continue to thoroughly enjoy your banner and topics. Though I have to say that since I caught up, I miss listening to you every day and hate waiting a whole week for the next podcast to come out. I've shared your podcast with many people at many different stages in their faith. Sometimes it opens the door for conversation, other times, not so much. Um, and uh, this lady is a, a, a night nurse um, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, or has served as a kind of night shift nurse, and was just kind of mentioning how in the night uh, people are more open uh, to a word of faith or just a word of encounter. Um, and it's, it's a great reminder to all the people who um, have to stand by the bedsides of people who are in difficult times. Um, whether you know in tragedy or you know caring for a loved one or whatever and and just those those people that are accompanying them on that on that path um so she thanks us uh for for being a beacon um and strengthening her faith she says she felt like she was just trudging along uh in her faith when i first started to listen listen to you as rekindled the love of my faith and gave it a kick in a way it had not in a while uh peace be with you Eileen Burke uh, from Kalamazoo, Michigan. So um, she says that sometimes her sons get in the car and says, and ask if if she's listening to her boys, hmm. which is us, nice. not her sons. So 
Well, I have I have two shout-outs, and I, I'll tell more of the story. I'll don't remember the names. But these are two of your parishioners. Um, two of your parishioners. So when you were gone in uh, in Africa and then in uh, in this Chicago, I uh, I was able to say Mass on Thursday mornings for your people. Very, and very, very helpful. Then I did a coffee and donuts afterwards, and um, oh, yeah. there was uh, Thursdays, I guess, right? The coffee and donuts. Um, yep. So the... Uh, so there was one woman, I'm horrible with names, I apologize, ladies. One woman came and, and thanked me for the uh, for the Scandal podcast, Scandal and Scouring. Mm-hmm. And it had it, it just, without going into details, it deeply affected her family. And now it's in, the, she said it's in the fourth generation of affecting her family from because of abuse at the hands of a, a priest. Mm. And, and it, it just continues to, to bear ill effects. And she sees the effects of the clergy scandal and how that's how it affected, you know, yeah. the first person and on down. And she right. just, she was really glad to hear that we were, we were so open about just being pissed off, you know, being bad, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so thank you for sharing that story with me. And then the other one was a woman, um, two little ones and she said that when I had talked about at one point uh, how my mom pretty much the one thing she said she did right in, in our life was just consecrating us to the mother of God the moment she found out she was pregnant with us you know and of course there's many more, thing, more things in that but the surrender to the mother of God that she had and this woman said that she was jogging when she listened and she had um, hmm. she actually paused like stopped jogging um, at that because it was such a, a real a revelation for her, and then yeah. she consecrated her her children, beautiful, and even in the womb um, to the mother of God, kind of that surrender and consecration to the mother of God. So thank you, ladies. For it's always good to hear people you know that were actually impacted by something. I think I have an idea lines. who that was. Okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, two last shout outs to um, uh, things that we got from Seek. Uh, so I just had these business cards. The We Dignify podcast. Learn how not only to be pro-life, but live pro-life. Nice. Uh, we dignify. And then Julia Eckrich, uh, Edge, junior high youth minister uh, from Our Lady of Grace, Noblesville, Indiana. But I like the name of her podcast. It's called Pizza and Side Hugs. <laughs> I'm like, yep, that's, that's, <laughs> youth ministry. that's the definition of youth ministry. <laughs> So, um, yeah, get in touch with your own story, uh, your own journey. Check out Loris, uh, whether on audible.com or uh, your local library. Um, We will uh, be on the air again next week uh, with a podcast from Father Michael O'Loughlin and Father Michael Rapp that we discussed in this podcast (laughs) is actually coming out next week. Spoiler alert. Exactly. Um, So, um, until next time, kids. Ha 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 